from I'll Meet You in the Lobby Lockdown. Today I've got my very special guest and very close friend, Bern, Bernadette Kelly, all the way from Copenhagen in Denmark. How are you, Bern? Yeah, hi, Jack. Good to see you. Good morning to you, and it's nearly one o'clock over here. Mm, well, yeah, a few hours here. So. <laughs> a few hours to go. Now, listen, can you give us a background on your story of um, how you you know, came to live in Denmark? How I ended up over here. So um, actually started back in high school when we were at uh, St Francis in, <laughs> in Berwick. Um, I applied to be an exchange student. And um, we could choose three countries. So I chose Japan, Brazil, and Denmark. And I got Denmark. So, um, and then I lived here for a year after we finished school, year 12. Um, and then I went back to university, uh, went back to Australia, studied at university, had no idea what I wanted to study. So I studied high school teaching, got Bachelor of Arts and Diploma of Education, taught for a few years, and then I got a scholarship to Europe again for two months and then fell in love with a Dane and then it all went very quickly and then so 10 years between being an exchange student and um, took me 10 years to then and a couple of visits to to move back permanently so um, and that was back in 1990 so that was yeah 30 years ago was the first time I came here and I've been here now for 20 years. It's incredible. It's gone so fast too. Well, I was just going to ask you, at any stage while you were over in Denmark as an exchange student, did you ever think you'd ever return yeah. there to live? Oh, I don't think I've ever asked you Return that. to visit? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I did have a few visits. So when I was studying at uni, I did come over to Europe and visited my host family and um also had a few visits from Denmark over the years as well, back home at um, with my parents, uh, but never to live. No, that just didn't consider it. Um, so I actually say, you know, I didn't chose Denmark. Denmark chose me in a way. It's a bit yeah. funny, but um, that's just how it is. Not now, planned at all. Now you're you're um at the moment you're a project manager and instructional designer in um mm -hmm. I, in the IT industry. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you got into it? Oh, so <laughs> um how I got into it. So yeah, as I said, I'm a school teacher by trade. So I worked for a couple of years in Australia in high school, moved to Denmark, didn't have a job, was looking. Um and at that time, 20 years ago, anyway, I applied for a job um, at a software company, had no idea what it did. It wasn't very tech savvy whatsoever, but uh, I ended up in their training and certification team. Um, and they, I mean, they have the tech experts. They have all the programmers and engineers um, and that, but they didn't have success at that point in being able to get all the expertise in the head 
um, on paper, so to speak, in air quotes, and how, how to communicate that in a simple, brain-friendly way where um, was easy to teach and was easy to learn. So um, when I think about it, like my first boss, I'll have to give him a plug, John Andrews, um, what a gamble, what a bet he took on putting someone like me, brand new to the country, um, like to the culture, no experience with tech whatsoever, but he could see that, you know, just a different profile than most people in the company, um, but that's what they needed. But also, just let people know too, you could speak fluent um, uh, Danish by then. No, no, you couldn't. I couldn't. No, so you're pretty I good though. Here. You you're pretty good because yeah, you lived there for a year. So I lived there for a year, but this is uh, ten years on. In the meantime, studying another language at university, and so I was getting all confused. So <laughs> when I was at university, between all my languages, and so I was like, right, you're going to just have to forget Danish. You're not going to use it again. Just put it in the back back seat. Uh, when I came back ten years to visit, I was sitting in the same living room with my host family, the same people, and they're speaking the same language, Danish, and I just could not understand a word. And I was sitting around thinking, how can this be? <laughs> like 10 years ago, I'm participating in these conversations. I couldn't understand anything. Having said that, it was relatively easy to get back into it. Um, I still had my social card ID, which meant Normally, you have to wait six weeks or so to be able to get into to the system. I could get in straight away, was able to get into a language school, and I'd say probably within two to three months, I was back at the level I was after a year. So um, when I started the job, I wasn't um, fluent, but it didn't matter. I mean, the company language was in English and the writing and everything was in English. And so that was also part of it, that some of the experts that English wasn't their native language. So they needed someone just to, to help, uh, basically help communicate and spread the good word of this fantastic technology that they were developing and how we can get that out to the people and get it so people can use it. So what do you appreciate about Copenhagen and Denmark? Um, yeah, so to live here, um, it's a very easy place for me to live. What I really like about this uh, place is the high level of trust mm. between people um, and the honesty. Um, that you get and just with that it's a level of safety in the city so I live in an apartment in the city um, and with my two girls um, teenage girls and I really don't have any worries about their safety which gives them and me a lot of freedom so they can travel public transport um, pretty much any time of the day and evening um, without having to be with me. It's safe. I feel safe taking public transport by myself as mm -hmm. a female. Um, 
and even you know they could they would walk and it's a little bit old-fashioned um, in the sense that kids still walk or ride their bikes to school they mm. don't always get a lift um, and and walk home um, I'm not home often when they get home um, so and they've been doing that since grade three being right. home alone while I'm working and I can do that uh, with a good conscience because all their friends are doing the same too because their mums are out working um, and it's just a safe place to be. If they forgot their keys or something, the neighbour would help. It's, um, well, that, that was, that was going to be, that was going to be my next question actually because um, having an international family and raising children in a different language and culture um, different to our own upbringing, home. Mm. How is it? How do you um, see it was is different compared to how you were brought up here? Yeah, so there's a lot of differences. Um, what's interesting, what I find is interesting, is that, like, even I mean, I've lived here for 20 years, so I'm not an outsider. But I and I do speak the language, but I do have an accent. So. Um, I'm a little bit different, if you like, and I still feel it like when, you know, it's mainly with, you know, schools and the teachers when they're communicating something or expectations of what they have with the students. And I'm like, sometimes I feel like an old crabby, um, like I'm the strict mum here. Because <laughs> we probably had a stricter upbringing than, um and what my kids certainly have and because they're given a lot, a high level of responsibility mm. um, in the schools. Like even in grade, from grade seven, they're allowed out of the school yards and they can go home for lunch or, I mean, they can go across the street to McDonald's. We live in the city. There's, um, and they so they've got, more that. They've, got that, they've got more freedom than what we would have had at high school until later way, on. Yeah, yeah, way more freedom. And with that, there's a lot of responsibility. Because, mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is they don't seem to, by and large, they don't seem to abuse that freedom. If you give them, um, give that to them, then they, they seem to respect that by and large. Mm. Something else I've been wanting to ask you, you and I had a conversation the other day and uh, we talked about winter bathing and uh, I was talking to you about <laughs> it, that I'd listened to a podcast and you then mentioned that you do winter bathing. And yeah. um, can you share with the listeners the, um, the benefits of winter bathing? So um, let me tell you what it is first, um, what we do. So there's a sauna. I don't do it without a sauna. Some hardcore uh, swimmers would do that. Um, but it's winter and it's Denmark, so it's colder than Australia. So, um, But uh, there's a sauna. So um, I usually start in the water. So I get into the water. I'm in there for about maybe 15 to 30, 40 seconds, maybe up to a minute. Um, and then up. I usually don't put my head under. Is, that a, is then, there a reason why you only go in for a minute? Is it just because you can't stand it so cold, cold? Or is that enough? Like is one minute sort of? Uh, 
one minute max. The first time I'm yeah. probably only in there 15 seconds. Then I'll go into the sauna and straight into yeah. the sauna and maybe spend five to 15 minutes in the sauna, get really hot. The sauna is like 80 to 90 degrees Celsius. Um, then when it's so hot, you nearly can't stand it anymore out in the water again. So it's the hot and the cold mix. And so if I've been in the sauna, I could probably stand being in the water for maybe 40 to I'm working my way up. So how yeah. often how often do you rotate that during that morning? Like probably, morning so session? I would do it maybe three times in the water. Okay. And three times okay. in the sauna and that's it. So and what the, are the benefit, what are the benefits? Like benefits, yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, I think they, the health benefits, there's probably a lot of social media groups that can tell you what the health benefits are, but I think it's all largely undocumented what mm -hmm. the health benefits actually are. So there's a lot of research that's taking place um, about it, whether, you know, your it helps benefit your immune system. Do you actually get fewer colds or flu or just less sick in the winter period? Um, or uh, and can it help with uh, weight management? I don't know, all sorts of things. But I don't really take any notice of that. I don't do it for for that. I do it, um, I, it makes me feel good. If I do it in the morning, I like to do it, that's the best time for me. If I do it in the morning, I just feel better that day. I yeah. feel more energetic. I feel just, you know, if you've gone out for walk in the morning, you mm -hmm. just feel good. After yeah. you've done it. So how often um, would you do that a week? So it's only in winter time. Yeah. So I probably I want to try I try to do it three, four times a week. Right. If I could do it every day, I would. Um, I just don't have the time to oh, do it every yeah. single day. Sometimes yeah. I might take a break during the day and then do it, um, you know, 11 or 12 um, during the day okay. as well. So it's pretty cold here. So um, and now it's not. But um, if it's a really cold day, I mean the water can actually get to freezing. You know where there's yeah ice and snow and everything. So and I also like it. It's a challenge every single time. Is, is there is there a is there a um uh, 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 is there a, a temperature where they just go, no, you can't go in today, it's too no. dangerous? It's no, there's no, no. I haven't experienced that. You haven't, yeah, right. No, I haven't seen that. Um, now, but it's just a challenge every single day, which is mm. what I also like. So, like I said, you know, I'm, I'll work my way up and can I just take five seconds more? Um, and then um, practice your breathing, basically. Yeah. Just yeah. Instead of when you get in, like, <gasps> And then start sort of panicking just to practice your breathing and just slow down. It would be actually good for your mind because you're in the water and that's all you're concentrating on. You, you, you know, it's mindfulness, I suppose. It's, it's you're there and that's all you're concentrating on, I suppose. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and then the relaxation bit in the sauna. Which right. I love. Yeah, you love. So I can just sit there and, um, you know. <laughs> Um, think of nothing and just look out across the horizon for 10 minutes. Beautiful. Beautiful.
Revenue is your one-stop resource for everything hospitality. With over 30 years experience in hotels, motels and restaurants, our team can guide your business to achieving exemplary bottom line results. Working with owners and operators in Australia and New Zealand, we have a proven track record of providing above market returns. Contact Tammy Matthews today for an obligation-free discussion on 0497 864 694 about how we can help you. Now, we're both currently in lockdown and um, as an expat living abroad, can you share with us um, your COVID-19 experience from a Danish perspective, culturally, um, economically and politically? Yeah, sure. Um, so, we're, well, we're halfway through lockdown. We don't know how, we're gonna, how well we're going to get out on the other side, but things seem to be going pretty well here. What stage, is it still, still, um, are you still in full lockdown or I I, I think I read the other day that schools have started going back, is that right? Yeah, so we've never had what I would consider full lockdown. Right. Actually, we um, have been, uh, I mean, a lot of my winter bathing, the sauna's closed, so that's it for this season. So bummer and everything and every sporting, you know, cinema, shopping centres um, are all closed. Um, uh, we can be up to 10 people outside um, and um, we can go outside. So it's not like um, France or Spain, Italy, where oh. they really they have to have a reason and documentation on them mm-hmm. why they're going out. Um, no, so we're free to go outside and I'm like, thank God for that because I do live in an apartment. We don't yeah. have our own backyard here and I'm like, if bel- I can't go out. Do you have a balcony? I don't there have a balcony at oh, this place. Right. No. Yeah, so, so you'd, want, like, you'd need to get out, yeah. Oh, if I can't get out for a walk, like with oh. two kids, if all three of us are sitting, you know, um, I mean, it's not that bad. I mean, geez, people have, uh, have managed worse over the years but... Um, we get through it, but thank God we can get out and go for a walk and they can meet their friends. They usually meet the same two or three friends. Um, they meet outside um, and uh, supermarkets are well stocked up and everything. So it's all good. Um, what I found was they probably went in pretty early, like when the state's minister, when the prim, prime minister um you know, did her first speech, like all schools from tomorrow, this mm. is closed, that's closed, blah, blah, blah. We were all sitting in the lounge room going, it's wow, shock to the this system, is full-on serious. Yeah, oh. it was earlier than what I thought. So, I mean, because I work from home a lot, my work had already encouraged us to work from home if you mm. can and just avoid like public transport at peak hour. So if you have to come in, try to just come in at different times and everything. So mm. it was sort of, I was doing that anyway. But um, Did you have the toilet yeah. paper fiasco like we did where we couldn't get, where we haven't been able to get we our hands on that. So we saw videos from <laughs> Australia. So Australia was our inspiration to, as soon as the Prime Minister, while she was speaking, I think she spoke for about half an hour, then the shops. And she actually, it was kind of interesting, she actually did say, don't hoard and when you say don't Mm. people do 
So people were out in the supermarkets grabbing all that stuff while she was still speaking on a Wednesday evening. You know what, that lasted, this is my experience, I don't know, it could be different, other people in Denmark could totally have different experiences. I think it lasted maybe two or three days where um, there weren't um, supplies and then it came back. And by and large, people, we haven't had that really strict lockdown yeah. By and large, people do as what they're asked. First of all, they'll ask and recommend. And if that doesn't work, then they will tell. And um, it's sort of, I feel the Prime Minister's sort of like our mum, everyone's mum. It's like, right, I'm going to ask you kindly to do your social distancing and do this and stay at home and everything. And if you can do that and it all works, um, you know, then you can have your lollies on Friday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. And we'll all be good. But if not, then um, it won't be 10 people. It'll be two people. <laughs> and we don't want that, do we? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it was a bit much, like... It was probably a bit like that too over Easter with us. We were told by our yep. Prime Minister, um, Scott Morrison, no, nobody's to go away anywhere and, like, don't you yeah. even think about it. So it was sort yeah, of like... Yeah, yeah, And they didn't <laughs> put restrictions in the regions here. So um, they didn't say you can't travel here and there, but just give it a second thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's that um, I feel there's also this moral... Um, social responsibility it's sort of like um you know the new passive smoking right <laughs> if you were smoking in the old days it'd be oh you know <laughs> people would look down so if you're not doing the right thing you yeah. um you soon will because you're getting the um condemnation from the people <laughs> from yeah, the yeah. others in the supermarket so yeah. you might be a comment or just a look Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, which can be enough. Uh, so, um, yeah, schools. So they sent the kindergartens, creches, and the younger school mm-hmm. levels back last week. If the schools are ready, they have to do a lot of um, spacing and everything. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's not normal schooling, but um, encouraged to be out as much as possible and everything. So they went back, and then just today. Um, service industry like hairdressers and um, physios, chiropractors and things like that. Nails? Um, nails? Yeah. <laughs> nails. Our nails are going to look ridiculous in the next The other quarter. one that they've said is tattoo parlours and I'm like, yes, it's yeah. extremely important. That, uh, <laughs> yeah, but nails. <laughs> but, that, yeah, and they need to, um, yeah, keep their distance. So they're also, you know, encouraging nail salons, if you can, mm. to put up a plastic visor. Yeah, shield. Yeah. You, yeah, yeah. So, That's a good idea. So um, slowly see how we go. Up until now it's been, um, uh, we haven't had the worst uh, fat- number of fatalities compared to some oh, other. Hopefully, countries. yeah, yeah. Generally people do as... Um, as actually, I, actually, I've got the latest um, figures here for, for Denmark. There's There's been um, 7,384 cases confirmed over this time, um, but you've had 4,141 recovered um, and you've had 355 uh, deaths in, in that time. Yeah. 
um, say compared to Australia, which has been 70 deaths to date today. Yeah, but, so um, way more than Australia because yeah. the population of Denmark is just over 5 million, so you'd equate that to probably yeah. the size, population size of Victoria. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah. So it is more than quite a lot more. So here I am saying, ah, our numbers are pretty good. It's all relative. Oh, they are, it? though. They are compared to the rest of the world, though. And now how, how have you... Um, have you discovered anything about yourself in lockdown that you weren't aware of before now? Yeah, interesting question. So, look, I have to start off by saying I'm probably less impacted than most of your listeners, right? So I'm not in travel industry. I'm in IT industry. If anything, uh, we've got more work to do with cloud computing. We're helping people uh, being able to work from home. In my department, you know, we're doing classroom training um, and online and we just flip a switch and can go 100% virtual mm-hmm. in our instructor-led formats. Mm-hmm. And That's I mean, brilliant. there's things to figure out. So, and my kids are old enough for homeschooling and that. I'm not the stressed out parent where I have to figure out, you know, and help them and sit with them and do their homework. They, they're pretty much um, self-driving there. So I'm very blessed yeah. that I'm not impacted as much. I mean, I don't have a business like you in the travel industry yeah. to really have to really stop and think, what now, right? Um so I haven't been pushed to, <laughs> to the limits of what I think a lot of you, what you have and what a lot of your listeners have. So, um, I mean, but what I've learned, I think, is I actually quite like this. I, <laughs> it's not too bad. I quite enjoy um, having teenagers at home with me. Yeah. They're always out with their friends That's or everything. Nice. Now they're, they're, we've got more time together and I'm enjoying that. I really am. So and you've been doing different things with them that you wouldn't normally do because you've got, them, you know, a lot more? Like have you been yeah. playing different games, board games or something like that? Have you been doing stuff like that? Yeah, we've been a bit of that and just... Um, just watching TV together and just going for a walk together or just being together, not necessarily doing anything. It's just um, uh, it's been a pleasure for me. Yeah. Um, and uh, when they're not here, I actually enjoy being by myself. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm getting old. <laughs> I think it's something to do with getting old. There's actually no social commitment. No, right. no, that's, that's nice sometimes, isn't it? I Just actually have enjoyed it, like yeah. birthday parties. Sorry. Can't do it. <laughs> no excuses. Um, no, you don't have to make up yeah. an excuse. <laughs> and I, I just find I have more time yeah. in that, like no travel time to work, yeah. normally like saving an hour a day travelling that I can go out and do a walk or whatever. The other thing is, I think, I mean, this is not permanent, right? I know it's going to go on for yeah. a while and there will be some, uh, it'll be gradual opening up, but it will open up at some point. So I'm just trying to think, well, how can I, how can I make the most of it? Mm. Um, 
And, and you know what, I think uh, one of your other podcasts, uh, I think it was Meg, um, I listened to her the other day, you know. Meg Coffee. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, we're on this hamster wheel, just um, busy, busy, stress, stress, stress. This is an opportunity. Let's take it as an opportunity to step back, take a breath and just, take things slower and I've enjoyed just going a bit slow for a while um do us all a bit of good I think I think so I agree um you with your life with your work you you talk about brain-friendly online courses what does that mean like have you had time to sort of work on different things with work like things that you would normally yeah we've been forced to absolutely yeah absolutely um so with brain friendly, really, I mean, that's a, what we talk about there is um, just how to make the learning stickier, mm-hmm. like how to make it stick. So um, first of all, how someone can learn something in the first place and then from just learning it to being able to remembering that and then from that being able to do something to do something new and it's what I'm really passionate about is moving it from when you're able to know how to do something to being able to do something Mm -hmm. so the biggest or the easiest uh, analogy I use is you know learning to drive a car right there's it's one thing you know passing the theory test and you know how to drive a car, a young person, they know how to do it. They've seen their mum and dad drive for all their life. How hard can it be? But that to go from knowing how to do it and knowing the rules and just the theory of it, you know, you have to change gears and this and that, to actually being able to do it is Practical. a huge gap. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we can move people from 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 that knowing about something to being able to do something. And then just like driving a car, at the first times you do it, you have to really consciously focus and concentrate every single time until at some point it becomes routine or habit that someone like you or me can jump in a car, get to your destination and not even really remember how you got there. Like your car just sort of got you there on autopilot. (laughs) We can have um, some days like that. (laughs) Yeah. But if you're learning how to drive, you're really thinking how to to do it. And it's the same with any skill, whether that's, I'm in IT, whether that's learning new software, technology um, or more practical stuff. Um, So, I mean, everyone's had a great teacher or taken a great, course um what i am passionate about and know is if it's a great course or great teacher it's not an accident it's um because of great design under the hood um and you could talk about the great course and why you loved it as a student. Well, I can also talk about what are the theories and methodologies behind that and why they designed it that way. 
to make it a great course, which is not just um, like a lot of online, my pet hate is uh, when people throw up a webinar or something, call it a course, but it's not. It's um, a presentation. Let's call it a presentation. Mm -hmm. Let's call it a lecture or something, but it's not training. It's not a course. Uh, And maybe on the, the borderline of what I would call edutainment Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so some of the key, con- I mean, maybe I'm talking too much about this because I, I love it, but <laughs> you have to have um, application, you have to practice and you have to get feedback on how you did when you're practising and you have to have, idea- like, even better, have some aspect of reflection how did I feel when I was learning that? What went well? What didn't go well? It has to be that self-reflection and uh, repeat it over time. That's a great way to to learn a new skill. Um, so, yeah, I love that. And I love the challenge of working with a subject matter expert in whatever subject they're in um, and so yeah, you work with all different you you work in all different fields from that point of of delivering something like that. So right now, most of it, I'm I'm in IT, so most of it is technology. Right. Um, but to what we're seeing in technology is actually um, it's not just to IT departments. We're actually teaching. It's now the business departments and our tech specialists. Instead of you know, if you had to implement a new technology new software, you'd be talking with the IT department. These days they're talking with the business leaders. They might be talking with the head of marketing or the head of sales or um, and it's not just implementing some new version of some software. It's like helping solve problems, helping solve business problems. So the connection between the software and the technology and the business problem is... um, is closer so our technologists have to talk more business and our business people have to be more tech savvy so um, I'm in the middle there and that bridge between and how do you connect them and make it relevant for whoever they're trying to teach so a lot of it is software and software related but um, what what I've and that's what I've done probably most 20 20 years but what I'm trying what I'm getting more and more into and I'm lucky I'm in a big company that's big enough that you know you can try to move around but I have to have to push myself in that way um just that doesn't just happen I have to say you know I want to get involved in this and get myself involved Mm -hmm. um in some of the soft skills training there's a lot of soft skills like coaching or training for leaders and, mm-hmm. and all of that and um, especially the soft skills how how do we create a, a course online um, where you're helping people I don't know it could be negotiation skills okay. how can they practice that online in an online environment and how can they get that feedback that I'm talking about True. And that self-reflection and everything. So I find that it's enormously challenging and um, just great people to work with. You know, when you've got an expert who's totally passionate in their subject field and then I'm like, well, how can we get your passion and 
break that up into bits that are um, palatable and um, understandable and learnable for um, others who aren't expert yet. Okay. Now, you're also really passionate about um, women in tech and exploring how motherhood can be career enhancing um, rather than a career killer. Can you yeah. share with us your views on that? Yeah. So let's let's break it up. So um, women in tech, that's, um, I guess for me, it's just, it's simple. It's just good business. It's good for the business. The more, and it's, um, we have, I was looking up, I work at Microsoft um, and great company and everything, but I was looking at their data yesterday. There's just over 27% of a company are female. And out of in tech roles, so engineering or something like that, that's down to just over 21%. Has that grown though? Has that grown over, oh, yeah, that's say, growing. the 20%? So, yeah. Um, since 2016, I think it was down to was 17%. Okay. So it's growing each year, but, I mean, they are putting an enormous amount of effort to try to get more girls um, interested in engineering and maths and, I don't know, we call it the STEM um, subjects, science and technology, um, engineering and mathematics. So it's like they are just put enormous resources, but it's just good business. Like we're creating products, technology for a global audience um, and we're creating that for everyone. And if we're creating that for everyone, like 50% of the world is women or more, like 51. Mm. Um, yeah. So if we want and expect our, you know, women to be able to uh, not just use our technology but actually become a fan, become mm. a fan of our products and technology, that they actually they love it so much that they have to tell others how cool their experience was. Um, then we want some. We want women to be part of designing that technology, um, and it's not just women. To, you know, it's global audience. We want diverse people from from everywhere, and just diversity for everything. Like it could be just personality diversity, or we want extroverts and introverts. We want all different types. Um, to be part of that design and development and marketing and sales, the whole um, the whole end-to-end -end range we want uh, uh, that diversity, including women. So women have just been underrepresented. Um, it's increasing, but it's just very, very slow. I was going to it's ask you, why has the uptake been so slow, do you think? Um, so I think maybe historically, oh, the look, don't get me started here. There's a lot of reasons. <laughs> but I think, you know, you could say one thing is historically is um, if you think of what a computer software engineer, you might have a, a per, in your head someone who's a bit geeky or 
um, you know, works by themselves. There's not that much collaboration or interaction with people. Um, and that's just not how it is. There's a lot of collaboration. So, so do you think, yeah, so do you think it's sort of been in, in the past people, uh, women have, have looked at it as maybe being an introvert, like it's been for introverts as such? And, I think and, that's, yeah. So, yeah, that's too, yeah, for when we're talking women. I think the problem is um, girls aren't taking engineering degrees. So, so even STEM, in Denmark, yeah, uh, if you look at like girls, girls are educated and I'm probably beating guys in how many are taking a university degree, but what are they studying? They're actually not studying. They're still underrepresented in university degrees in um, engineering or maths, right? Mm -hmm. And so when Microsoft looks at universities, there's not that many girls to choose from. And then why are they not choosing those uh, university degrees? And it goes back to high school. And I think, you know, That's the what saying, I was going to say, does it, stem back, does it stem back to high school that they haven't been really exposed to that, that, that sort of career? <laughs> exposed for um, just the role models or the lack of role models that you have. It's with any underrepresented group. You need the role models. It's that chicken and the egg sort of thing. But you also need, you know, in years, what, seven, eight, nine, young girls when they're becoming teenagers. And, um, yes, it's actually cool to be good at maths right, and to be a rock star at maths. It's actually cool. It's not um, a, a nerdy thing um, or and it's not just acceptable but really great mm. and are the teachers encouraging that um, and what if there's a girl who does like it, you know, and what will her friends think and all of that and so it's just way so early in the process on how we socially condition girls yeah. and boys. Yeah. Right? Um, and then there's the whole thing that once they do come to a company like ours, you know, do they feel they belong? So we've gone from, you know, diversity and um, inclusion to, well, the inclusion focus, making sure they feel like, they belong when you're yeah. there. You've finally got some girls here. Let's. Um, what can we do to make them feel they belong, they're wanted, and uh, and that they they'll stay. So as you say, they 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 need almost like an influencer of somebody like somebody like yourself, even that, that <laughs> can influence. But you know what I mean. That yeah. that can influence yeah. them in, in that in that um, in that field. Yeah. And so when we talk about mothers as well, I think that just started. I was at some conference and I was at a diversity lunch and there's a panel and then some young girls were asking questions about, oh, you know, I'm working really hard and my career tra trajectory is going really well but I'm worried if I start having kids um, then it won't be that good at the workplace because I'm going to have to leave at like 3 o'clock to pick up kids and the panel was like, yeah, I know you need it. That's why you need a flexible workplace or a manager who understands and all of this. And I'm like, no, 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 totally wrong. Time out. We're having the conversations wrong here. Let's talk about um, 
all the skills and the added value that you learn becoming a mother and being on maternity leave mm-hmm. during that time. Um, and I actually deliberately don't say time off because mm. it's not off. No, no it's on. not. <laughs> it's far from it. <laughs> right? You're on 24-7. So the time away from your paid job um, is not time off where you're yeah. just having coffee with mother's groups. Um, the skills that you learn that you can bring back to the workplace. I can just see for myself, like, yeah, I had to leave at three o'clock to pick up kids, but my God, what I managed to get done in that day, because yeah. I became super great at prioritizing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. knowing what was uh, the right trade outs, um, and accepting, like, instead of something has to be perfect good enough and where's that balance Mm. you know this is good enough um and and all sorts of other skills that's just a few things but um where you can say and you know I'm talking motherhood but another great thing would be you know especially for listeners here you know someone who takes a year off work to travel Mm -hmm. right um and then people talk about you know oh what if I've got a gap in my CV, and I'm like, great. That's a good what thing. What did you do? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Let's, let's just the story, uh, you know, just flip it instead of, oh, I've got kids, what will this employer say? Yeah, mm. I've got kids. This is what I've learned. This is what they, you know, being a mother can help me, the skills, why I'm, why it actually makes me a better employee. Mm. Mm. I've got this gap. I travelled for a year. What did I get out of that? Like, um, and how can I, um, how can a future employer or team or whatever benefit from from all these wonderful experiences and skills that you learn, um, whatever that is? The um, with with your work, you travel a lot. Can you share any funny work travel stories with us? <laughs> Um, yes, so just starting out on my first, my first team, probably one of my first visits, I'm in Paris with a colleague and uh, we did our work and then we get to the airport uh, the next day. So we decided to stay the evening so we could enjoy that in the evening um, on the um, agreement that we'd take an early flight the next day and um, just turn up to the office, you know, 10 a.m. or something. Um, So we're early at the airport. We're sitting at the gate waiting for our flight and uh, somehow we missed our flight. So we're sitting there. (laughs) We were talking so much with each other. Can you imagine you and I just sitting there talking, talking, talking that our flight came, it boarded, people got on and took off they even made announcements <laughs> for Bernadette Kelly to flight go straight to the gate they make so many announcements and we you didn't hear it at all we were oh my right goodness there. yeah we missed it so I have to explain I have to ring my boss that <laughs> <laughs> I missed my flight need to book a new one could only get on business class the next 
flights, so there's some extra costs there for the, you know, I'm really sorry, but... Um, the person I was with was his wife, actually. Oh. Oh. And um, so it was just very awkward because he's just like rolling his eyes going, yeah, it doesn't surprise me about her. That <laughs> <laughs> she was talking too much. And, oh. um, and, yeah, so it was embarrassing. You know, I was very young and just, oh, this is just awkward. So, oh, that's funny. Now, yeah. what's the best destination you've ever visited? Um, yeah, as a destination in itself, I would probably put um, Iceland up there at the top of my list, partly because um, it was unexpected. I hadn't planned to go there. I planned to stop in Reykjavik on the way to the U.S., and we got delayed and had to stay there for 24 hours. Um, and then uh, oh, we were just put in some really crappy hotel and everything and the weather was just horrible and I just thought, I can't sit in this hotel. We're going to have to get out. And so we found out uh, that the Blue Lagoon um, hot thermal springs was like 15-minute drive from the hotel and I'm like, let's just go there and make the most of it. And it was just... It's just magnificent, partly because it was unexpected, didn't yeah. plan it. So, you know, those um, unplanned experiences are often the best. Yeah. But also I just remember driving from the uh, from the hotel over there. The landscape was just so different. It's all volcanic ash. I just never felt so far from home, so far from Australia, just, just that feeling. It was just amazing so I've only been out of the airport that once for 24 hours and that's absolutely a place I have to go to and have to bring my kids and experience that. I've seen some amazing photos of Iceland it just looks it, look, it does it looks amazing so I can imagine what it would I couldn't even imagine yet I haven't been there but I could imagine yeah. by the photos seeing them they look it does it looks like an amazing yeah. place yeah and just the feelings you get when you yeah. visit these places right yeah and, and as you say that feeling of being so far away from a place like from your yeah. from your home country you know yeah it's like at the and other end I felt area. so remote as well yeah. so maybe that's how um international people feel when they visit central australia mm. because mm. it is so different just the colors yeah and the landscape and the vastness and knowing you're so far like someone from denmark right because you're just so close to the coast it's a country of islands right you're always close to the sea mm. and the coast but in central australia they i mean hours and hours from <laughs> from the coastline um i'm sure a lot of international people must have that feeling when they visit yeah. central australia central australia comes up a lot when when um, i do my podcast and speak to a lot of our guests they they bring central australia up all the time one of my favorite places too yeah, yeah. what's what's your most emotional like emotional travel experience you've ever had like when you just not expected it and you, you didn't expect to become emotional can you share that with us or one of the experiences with us yeah I could probably bring in two so one was um up in far north Queensland mm -hmm. 
visiting the Daintree rainforest mm -hmm. for the first time. So I've been to Cairns quite a few times in all sorts of seasons, even rainy season, right? And so we thought we'd go up to the Daintree. So, yeah, there's no joke that it's called a rainforest <laughs> in rainy season. So <laughs> we took this bus up and you have to cross. Have you been there? Yes, I have, yeah. 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 And you have to cross the Daintree River with this barge, right? Um, this Honestly, this would be probably 20, uh, 18 years ago, right? So um, we're in a little tourist bus and it just stops just before the barge and we all have to get out and um, why are we getting out? Oh, we have to wait. It's, uh, it's rained too much. The Daintree River's flooded. Uh, we can't cross. Oh, okay, fair enough. Well, when can we cross? My guy just looks at us when it stops raining. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. So you're just sitting there. How long's a piece of string? <laughs> and you know, you just really get that sense of it wasn't emotional in in that sense, but where you really feel at uh, the mercy mm. of the climate in this case. Mm -hmm. um, just mm -hmm. circumstances outside your control and no matter how sophisticated we are as a society in Australia or anything you're just still at the mercy of this when it stops raining so I think we had to sit and wait for maybe four hours before we got there uh, before we were able to the water went down and uh, we could cross um, but then we're on the other side right and then we had to come down to Melbourne back for Christmas and we're like well, what if <laughs> And we can't get back. Um, so we just changing, we had to change our plans just to mm -hmm. make sure that we could make our flight from Cairns to Melbourne. And I really, you know, you feel really, um, what do you call it, small. In, yeah, in vulnerable, vulnerable too. Vulnerable. Because, yeah. 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 And it's, I just felt really um, amazed at that point in Australia that we were still subject to climate it was just a good reminder yeah. and it's yeah. pretty similar to now to right? now exactly right who would have ever thought how sophisticated like, our so societies are and we're all still uh vulnerable doesn't yeah. matter how much money you have or what status you have or exactly what right job you have or who you are it's brought us um, all to our knees it, yeah, it, you're not immune to this no yeah. matter who you are, right, how famous you are or yeah. how poor you are or whatever. Well, Ben, it's been great chatting with you today and thanks for sharing, um, you know, all your stories and, and all about Denmark and we've, we've covered a lot of different subjects today. So thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. And can I just say I've learned a little bit of Danish and I'm going to say this to you. <laughs> So you're probably going to laugh. Yeah. Hey, and God day. Yeah. Did Tack I say it right? Olimo. Yeah. Well, I understood you. <laughs> there you go. Your mate, your mate Jack can speak Danish. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, Thanks a lot. For, thank you. Thank you.